Hi, it's Paul. Hi, it's Damo. And it's time for the PD Sports Podcast. With Damo and Paul. Hello everyone and welcome to episode 29 of the PD Sports Podcast. We are starting to march on and by God, we've got a monstrous episode for you here today. Dame, how you going mate? Oh mate, I'm great and it's even better because of filming of this pod. It's, you're on holidays, I've had an RDO and we're filming a pod in the sunlight. It's great. It's quite different, isn't it? I think it's probably the first time uh, since maybe one of our second or third when all the shenanigans was happening back back a long time ago now. But there is a, a reason why this podcast is a bit later. Um, there's been lots happening this week. And then news overnight broke about the Newcastle takeover. So that's going to probably take some precedence today isn't it that's probably the main I feel nooks like, and crannies of the pod yeah i feel like that's where we definitely have to go down the line like we were going to do a traditional stock standard pd sports podcast pod discuss all the premier league stuff and don't worry we'll mention it briefly but uh when you get as big a news as this news that's been anticipated for a long while if you're a newcastle fan and news that i think is going to have a massive impact on the league it, it kind of is your focus for a podcast i feel yeah, exactly. So before we get stuck into it today, massive thanks to everyone that's continued to join either the Discord, send us nice comments either through our streams or through YouTube. It is much appreciated. So I reckon today we just go straight into it. The big ticket item from last week was Liverpool City, and I thought that would have been our talking point uh, for, oh, so did for I. this podcast initially, because uh, what a game. Uh, I did my best to to stay up, as Dane mentioned before. I am on holidays currently, so I tried doing the watch every game on the, the Sunday night. I got about half an hour in, fell asleep, and then as the fourth goal of the game went in, my phone woke me up, and I watched the last few minutes. Um, but my God, what a game. Um, what do you thought? It's just... Generally, to start off with, Dane, well, I, I transpired last week. I watched the game. So what I did is I got off stream, fell asleep to the 11.30 kickoffs, and then woke up for this game here. Um, and my initial thoughts is it was a very weird game of football, but it was a great game of football. Yeah. And it was weird in the sense that I've never seen Liverpool dominated like that at Anfield in the first that half. Second, oh, yeah, in the first half. Yeah, yeah, and then I've never seen a second half so open between two sides that just kind of said, well, we're going hell for leather now. Um, whatever. Yeah, yeah, it was like when in Rome, ran in Rome. Let, let be what be. And both managers said, yeah, on we go. And it was just, the, the game had multiple stories, which I love. You know, you had the Pep side show. You had the James Milner incident. You had Cancelo, you know, diving into everything. You had um, Bernardo Silva have a game of his life and get absolutely wrecked by Salah. We had probably the goal of the season be scored in this game. Um, I'm just so look it sounds weird but I'm actually very glad this ended in a draw from a neutral point of view and take my Liverpool hat off that game had deserved to be a point separate you know City probably yeah. deserved to win the game in the first half and Liverpool deserved to win the game in the second half so you know definition yeah. of a game of two halves oh, yeah. that's the big one and um, that's the beauty that's of football was. yeah it's the beauty of football like um, obviously City dominated the first half and it was more because I feel like Liverpool A, Leiden, B, City were just amazing. Like when, If City play like that, they're going to win the league, right? Um, but Liverpool, no, more noticeably, are a very high-pressing team, you would say. Uh, sat a bit deeper, yeah. and because of that, the back four couldn't really step up because the midfield was sitting a bit deep, and then they were very disconnected from the front three. And they just allowed City, every time they got on the ball to play out, just pop a ball in between the, the lines of Liverpool, and the next minute they were on. And like... 
How it ended nil nil that half, I do not know because I've never seen City dominate like that and not score. Um, I would love to know what Klopp said in the second half, but whatever it was at half time, sorry, it worked because all of a sudden Liverpool were parked. Liverpool were parked on halfway and just pressing from halfway. It was like great, you know. There was maybe ten meters between the lines. Come play, beat us, break us down, and it wasn't just that Liverpool. What they didn't do in the first half mainly because we were under so much pressure. Look at the first goal. We were taking the game on, trying to play out, trying to get in between the lines. And I think, what well, was a bounce with Fabinho out wide to Milner that released Salah. He then flicked the pass, Cancelo, yeah. and then next Slide minute. Mane. And it was like, within 10 seconds, Liverpool just played four bounce passes and they out and Mane scored. It's 1-0. Um, yeah. And like, yeah. His record against City has been unbelievable. I don't know if you've seen the stat, but I think he's scored in each of the last seven games or something against Man City. Yeah. He, he's amazing, it's, isn't he? And like... For someone who gets just sort of ripped um, for his scoring, like he had... Was it last season he did a lot of the heavy lifting, yeah. but he just is such a player that pops up in big moments. Like he looks at a big game Champions player. League finals and... But yeah, exactly. Big moments when we've needed someone. More often than not, it is Mane, but... His counterpart as well, as you mentioned before, Salah. What a bloody goal. Oh, the second Going one. right foot, side netting. That second goal is just absolutely class. The turn from where he turned, beat three, and then slot it right foot. And everyone says he's so predictable. It's just, he's just He is playing on another level to anyone else at the moment I, in the world, I reckon. I, I, I do too. probably the only person near him. Yeah. But for Salah to be able to do it week in, week out in the Premier League, for me... Means more than doing it in the Bundesliga against farmers. Yeah, I agree. Um, I'm gonna try and not sound biased here, but I honestly believe if Messi scores that goal, the whole world melts down. Going, oh my god, why well, is he it, so good? The internet melted against City when he scored that one from outside the box. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like they got Salah's goals a hundred times better than Messi. hundred percent. Got given the ball to his feet and he just pinged it they from me- the edge of the D. They mentioned it in commentary, thank God, as well. Um, about. Yeah. If Messi scores that goal, the whole world mounts down. And I, I, I don't know if it's because he plays for Liverpool, or I don't know because he's Egyptian, or I don't know because he has this perceived that he likes to go to ground easy, which every player in the world does. He just doesn't get the love that I think football fans should give him. And I've said it before. Because he's been in the league before, I reckon. Yeah. And because he, he didn't work out at Chelsea, there's a stigma there that, you know, he's a one season wonder. And I'm like, for me, he's yeah. probably the best one season wonder that's ever lived then because he's done it for yeah. more than a season. Uh, he's done it what, cons- what consistently for what, three years now? Just, yeah. Uh, this would be his fourth. Yes. Yeah, uh, and it, it looks like he's going to do it consistently for four years. Um, and I'm yeah. just going to put it out there. And I've said it before on the pod, I'm going to say it again. We are witnessing the best player to play in the Premier League period. Um, look at the records, yeah. look at all the records he's toppled, all the goal scoring records, the quickest to 100, best goal ratio per game, and then you've got to factor in that he's a winger. I've always have said that don't judge, I'm judging it just in Premier League alone. So like, when people tell me Ronaldo, I say, yeah, but Ronaldo's done this in the Champions League, he's gone away to Madrid, he's done all that. That doesn't mean that when Ronaldo was at United first time around, he was better than what Salah's doing now at Liverpool. Uh, is always going to be my argument. So uh, yeah, I, yeah, I think he's probably arguably the best player in the world at the minute. Um, without being biased, and the beauty of the goal was the fact that he sits Bernardo Silva, who's not a defender, down. And like when I mean down, yeah. I mean like he didn't, he wasn't even in the same postcode when he tried to challenge him. And then the right foot finish is a joke. It, it, it's a right foot finish that a right footer would be proud of. And, yeah, side netting, and far post, for, some, for someone that apparently is very predictable, can only go one way and can only finish a certain way. Um, yeah, uh, you know, I think he's just kind of just showed everyone he is the best in the world at the minute. 
and I'm just glad he plays for a red shirt. And uh, if he continues like this, pull, I, I just I don't know where it ends for him because he's so fit too. You know, when he takes his shirt off, he looks like a specimen. Yeah, he's ripped. Yeah, he, he's yeah. A, he's a mix between Messi and Ronaldo. I'm saying he's in the school, the, the, the skill of Messi and the body he's type like of Messi. Messi but the physique yeah, of Ronaldo. Yeah, and I'm like, that's just so rare to find. I'm not saying he's better than Messi and Ronaldo, by the way, Pod. Don't get me wrong. Just saying that is how he, his makeup is. He plays in a similar playing style to Messi. He can beat people, like, leave him on the floor, go left or right, can do it all, right? But, but he's, he's physical too. And apparently the way he works and he trains and everything is very similar to what Ronaldo does. And he's just so fit. And if he stays fit like that, yeah, I, who knows how long look, he can he, he, level. even if in two years' time, God forbid, someone give us 140 million for him, 150 million, he goes to Madrid, um, PSG, yeah. Barcelona, whatever, He'll right? He'll kick on. He'll kick on, and I'll probably play to his like what Ronaldo's doing, 36, 37 years of age. And like, we really could be talking about one of the best players to have played, and he's not really getting a mention because of what he did when he was a youngster. And I'm like, I think it's a bit unfair, and it's about time people talk about Salah, how good he is. Yeah, I 100% agree with you there. So, from that game, there's probably one more that I want to quickly touch on. Yep. Um, which is the United-Everton game. Oh, Oli got and it that's wrong. Just the, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that's all I wanted to mention was Oli... With an, the thing for me was, if there was Champions League on this week, I'd go, yeah, I get it. Like, you know, you've, you're juggling competitions. Literally, the players are going on international duty, you know? Yeah, like, they're literally jetting... Why? What? They're jetting out... And they're going to go not even train, play two games and come back. And I understand that jetting out and all that's a bit of a war- a bit of a thing, you know. But, but worry about yourself, though. Yeah, it's, I know. It's sweet. They're contracted by Manchester United, not by their national teams. It's like, you know, they, what's the risk? Like, what, you're going to prepare them to go play crappy World Cup qualifiers that don't help you keep your job? But just, uh, that's all I wanted to mention was that how poorly... I couldn't it believe got, it. They got it wrong. I could not believe yeah. how they... And they didn't look good either. Oh, look. It's not like they were gonna. They didn't look like they were gonna score. It's not like Pickford had a blinder as well. I must say though, the Everton goal on the counter attack was fantastic to watch. Oh, and that's Fred's Damari fault, Gray has Damari Gray's turned into a real threat since going to Everton as well. He's been doing that stuff all season. Picks the ball up, beats three. You know, unfortunately for my fantasy team, he doesn't go and score, but he creates that goal from nothing. Then to cool rate and Townsend, to be fair too, as soon as it fell to the right foot, I thought, oh, there's no way this is going in. Bang. And he found the bottom corner. Yeah, so. I, do, I like what Rafa's doing there at Everton's side though. And, yeah, same. Um, that leads probably very well into the Newcastle stuff because I feel like if Rafa was still at Newcastle, watch out. But um, uh, back to Everton, I think no one's really talked about what Benitez has done so far. And it's probably because he's an ex-Liverpool manager at Everton. And I don't think even Everton fans want to admit it. But they're still, what, they're three points off the top of the table after seven games? They're still sitting in the top yeah, six? Yeah, they're around the mark. And I'm like, yeah. they, they, they know what they're doing. And they have a ton of injuries. Like, there's no DCL. Um, who else is out? Charleston didn't play. Digne has missed a couple of games or a game at least. Um, but yeah, I think he was playing. Yeah, it, it's a very uh, there's a lot that of potential there at Everton, which is a concerning as a Liverpool fan. But I feel like Rafa needs to be sport, spoke about a little bit more. And then if you look at United, for me, it's yet again it's another one that they need an actual six because an actual six when Fred goes to tackle Demario first time around, if he doesn't win the ball, he's on the floor, he's copping his yellow, but you're not conceding, so you know. Yeah. And Fred just let him waltz past him like it was, uh, you know, he just put him in the. Uh, Put him in the bullpen and said, here you go, sir. Go have fun. I'm just like, Ugh. And then you saw the panic. So then Pogba had to come on and play deeper as well and didn't look as damaging. No, he um, doesn't. Again, 
So. Uh, and then, you know, they throw Ronaldo on and it's sort of ironic that as soon as Ronaldo comes on, they concede. I thought that was pretty funny. I, but, I love the celebration. That's some shit housery that I love. Yeah, the Townsend celebration. That is so good. He got his shirt afterwards. If I was Ronaldo, I would have not done that. Oh, that's gold. I love that. It makes it even better. Yeah. So, look, I think from those results, nothing else really... Not much. Not much. Not much. Um, So we'll we'll leave it there and we'll we'll transition into sort of the most important part of of this week is is the the takeover. So I feel like we mentioned this quite a while ago, um, to be perfectly honest. The Newcastle stuff's Um, always been lingering. It's just never happened. And then out of nowhere, bang. There was was an initial bid that the Premier League said no to. So I feel like... The Premier League now have realised... This is my little mini take before we really dive into it. The money that Newcastle can bring the Premier League, I felt they were stupid not to take the first... or allow that first bid to go through. Because it's going to propel Newcastle. They've already got a global fan base. And I don't think the Premier League may have even understood how many people actually support Newcastle. So I think you give them... This buying power, it's huge. They are going to be, they are going to be a monstrous club, and that section of England deserve it. Really, they do. Like, there's no, no representation of the northeast that's really other than like Leeds. That's not really northeast either. It's, it's around the mark, but you know, I feel like they do deserve that representation. But before we get into it, the the, the thing is, everyone's saying, what's it going to mean? We've Damien managed to find some really good information here about some of the the teams, and I and I, fe- I didn't know about all of the teams that have had ownership. But what I found interesting was it said that their net worth is three hundred and twenty billion pounds. And where I first heard it this morning was on AFTV through uh, Robbie Lyle, where Stan Kroenke is worth just under seven billion. So that kind of tells you where how much the money. differences are. Yeah. And Sheikh Mansour, who's the owner of Man City, is worth twenty three point two. So you're talking twenty. So you're talking three hundred billion difference between the net worth of Man City's owners and Newcastle. So some other quick little stats is the, the Red Bull Group that have Leipzig and Salzburg are at fifteen billion, Juve at eleven, PSG at six and a half, and Wolves at five point two, and Inter were in between PSG and Wolves. So. Look, the money's there, clearly. Yeah, I think so. No too. one's gonna come in no one's gonna come in at that price at a club like Newcastle that is sitting in the relegation zone and not want to immediately spend. So there's no question of are they gonna actually invest in the club? That's that was my first thought. The big thing is, are Newcastle gonna be a Premier League club next season? And the question I think falls back down to obviously what they do with the manager. Um, and who they go and target this year specifically. Um, I feel like that the first thing you need to look at is just look how much money they can attract players with. It is ludicrous. Like, I cannot fathom the war chest that the manager is going to be given, whoever it may be, right? Um, I then think what the investors need to do first is related to Steve Bruce. They have to go and ask, is he really the guy that's going to keep him in the Prem? And you would have to say... Probably not, but you also got to realise that you haven't had Callum Wilson and Newcastle haven't looked terrible, terrible. They've just been... There's been games that they've been in and then they just, it just hasn't gone their way. They haven't looked dead horrid. Like, I, like To be fair, I think they've looked better than what Leeds have. So, 
Yeah, I, I don't think they'll keep Leeds Steve Bruce. Leeds only just got their first win of the of the season this weekend, just gone as well. Yeah. So it's probably not the, the team to compare with. Yeah, but, but that's probably where they need to target. At, that point, at this point, you have to weigh up long term. Does Bruce play a brand of football that is going to attract players? No. And I'm going to say no. So I think you almost have to rip it off like a Band-Aid. You can, you can hide behind the we're third bottom as the reason to get rid of him as long as you know you've got the replacement there. So that, that for me, you might not see Bruce get the sack for one or two weeks until it'll be a very uh, Pochettino-like sacking where it wouldn't surprise me if six hours after that news comes out, we know who the replacement is. Yeah, exactly. I feel like the deal's going to get done before Bruce is sacked. Yeah. Officially. So that's my big thing. The other, the other factor to consider is how does FFP impact that spending as well I'm not privy to that knowledge I'm going to assume that Newcastle's one of those mid-tier I don't want to call them a mid-tier club I'm going to call them a mid-tier team currently yep. they are one that could probably spend more than the majority because of the fan base and because of the revenue they probably make just through the Premier League because of their fans so I'd say that they're not going to be able to spend £300 million in the transfer window but through FFP, I think they're allowed to overspend by a certain amount if they can show they've got the money. Yeah, I think so that I is... Think they, they'll be pushing the boundaries as far as possible. Or you can spend X amount, but it has to be over a three-year period. So if they're projecting that they'll be in the Champions League in three years, they can spend like that for two years. And then as long as they're in the Champions League, they won't get sanctioned. And I, I think, I that's how it think works. that as long as the sanction was a fine, they wouldn't care anyway. And I honestly think the Premier yeah. League would see this situation unfolding and probably be a bit more lenient with it. Because you've seen FFP in writing, it's a great principle, but there's so much leniency and, uh, you no, know... People yeah. exploit it anyway. Yeah, and like you see what City's done over the time and they haven't really been sanctioned properly for it. Like, if you get no. if you get done by it on FM after three years, you get points docked straight off the bat, right? Um, and you get massive fines. So, uh, you know, you've seen City cop maybe a few fines here and there. And I really think when you've owned... They've got it out of everything so yeah. far, though. They've fought, it. They've fought everything. Yeah, um, so when... When the Saudi group comes in for 120 billion, I don't think getting them fined is really going to be a massive. No, and they're probably buying. They're probably buying that under the knowledge of look, we'll probably have to wear some financial backlash initially. But again, you're building it. If the club goes the way that realistically it should go, then whatever they earn is going to cover what minor costs they might impact through FFP. Exactly. Anyway. So, so I feel like that what they need to do is target a manager and I already know who I think they're going to target and it's what's being reported. Um, and then they need to obviously invest into the squad to stay up in the Prem. Now, it's going to be interesting those couple points. We're going to talk about those couple points, but um, you, you've seen the articles that it looks like it's going to be Conte, right, Paul? Do you, yeah. I think that Conte would be the fit for this sort of job. Yeah. Yeah, I do Because... Too. He always says, I want my players, and these guys will say, who are your players? Yeah. But if Conte's given... So for me, this is the first thing that they need to do, is they need to be on the phone to him saying, what's your 11? What what 11 do you want in the next three years? And who can you live with not getting? Who's a non-negotiable? Let's go get it done. Yeah. I agree. And if, if if, if Conte doesn't come in, say, for the rest of the year... I still think they should be negotiating those deals on his behalf with whatever regime they have, so it's not obvious. Do you think he'll come in straight away? I I mean, I think he should. Um, I do too. 
because I think the team that they've got kind of, I mean, it's not a great team, but I think they're suited to the way he plays. It's a bit more pragmatic um, anyway. So I think he could come in straight away, see who he's got, know who's going to hang around for one, two, three, four, five years, you know, whether it's St. Maximum or whether it's the Longstaffs, you know, or Alan Wilson might be a striker that just sort of plugs a hole until they can find exactly who they want. But I think he's the kind of manager that can come in, sit him in, whether they play a three, whether they play... I mean, they probably will play a three, three, four, three if it's with um, Conte. But imagine how good, like, say, Maximum would be on the left-hand side in a three, four, three of Conte where he's told, you just need to be my Eden Hazard. Yeah, exactly. I agree. And um, I do think that's the way we'll board will go about it. I just think there's going to be a couple of interesting situations to that. You've got a January transfer window where you do have the money, but you're probably going to be in a relegation dogfight. A lot of players that I think they would like to target wouldn't want to come in knowing that they're going to be in a relegation scrap first season, right? Set- you might be able to get one or two guys yeah. you want max over the line, which might be enough. Which might be enough to keep them up. Holes- Second- you don't make wholesale changes. There'll probably be lots of loans. Yeah. Don't be surprised if you see lots of loans come in January. Yeah. And people testing the water. Yeah. That's my sort of just view. I, I like that too. Secondly, does Conte want to come in and understand that he's in a relegation dogfight straight off the bat? Is he that sort of manager? I think it's um, means to an end, I reckon. Uh, I feel like that's definitely a negotiation to be had. I just feel like Conte may turn around and say, no, stay in the Premier League first and then we'll talk. Um, because I don't think he wants to be the guy that goes there, doesn't get the players he wants in because of the position they're in, gets relegated and then goes, well, now what? I'm managing in the championship. And uh, we uh, he'd be smart enough to have a clause in his contract that says he can get out. Yeah, but then that leaves... a relegation release clause and just screw the club over. I feel... That wouldn't surprise me either. Yeah, that wouldn't surprise me as well. And if they go smart down, enough that, to do that. I think he is too. But um, I feel <laughs> like Newcastle and the owners need to look at that and go. If that's the decision that Conte wants to make, is it better? And I think that this is what they may end up doing to get rid of Steve Bruce, but get in a manager that is proven at staying in the Prem from this position and then give them the knowledge going, well, you're here for eight months, finish off the season, keep us up, thank you for your time, Conte will be coming in now. And for me, they might go and target someone like a Sam Allardyce. They might get Roy Hodgson on the phone and go, wait, we know you've retired. Here's eight months on X amount of money. You stay in the Premier League, X amount of more dollars. It's only eight months, you can go back to retirement, sort of thing. I really think that that's something that I think Newcastle may think about doing, and I think it's smart because it allows them to not get Conte in with that clause that if they get relegated, it does go tits up, that you lose probably the manager that you really wanted. So when you stay in the Prem, it's great, and if you get relegated from the situation, they can go, well, we can still spend and get some players in, but we can put maybe in a, maybe a younger manager that's going to grow this side, or a manager that's of probably a less quality than Conte and not have the financial backlash of Conte coming in saying, no, if I get relegated, I want this in my clause so I can get out or the uns- or the unsettlement of losing a manager so quickly after taking over a club. Um, so I really do feel like that they may go down the route of getting a manager that is along the lines of a specialist that's staying up from this position um, and then putting in their contract or just tying them down for eight months going, yeah, we know we're going to get someone else in. You're not the guy that's going to keep us is going to you know, be the long-term manager. And I feel like guys like Roy Hodgson that's just retired, you could probably tempt out of retirement. A guy like Sam Allardyce is known for it. Um, you know, all those sort of type of managers, uh, I feel like we'll just go, yeah, you know what? Uh, for eight months, I know my job. Off we go. And then, yeah. Um, because I think I- we saw with Allardyce, though, at West Brom, that his time's sort of done. I think we're, we're not even in November yet. So I wouldn't be thinking about survival. 
I'd be I'd be going with the no, we're going to finish mid-table because we're good enough. I just so don't know if that squad is good enough to do can, that. I think it is. I it's, don't think so. To me, it's the coaching of Steve Bruce. Like they are, he's an he's just a stupid manager. Like, <laughs> I'm, I'm not no gonna lie. I do doing. think me and you could do a better job in the prem, but uh, yeah. Yeah. So for me, it's you're in. You, you if you're gonna spend that money, you got to back yourself. You you say we've got so much time left. We're not playing any. I'd throw the cups away. I'd say they're useless games to us because at the moment our focus needs to be on survival. We've got. 30 games left yep. only 8 games in there's plenty plenty of time to turn the ship around I'd, I'd and see play that. a brand and build an identity now there's no point bringing a manager in for 8 months then saying thanks but no thanks now we're going to change the whole direction of the club again because it's you're not going to get you might if you're going to back someone you back them in now and go for go for gun because every single manager that hasn't got a job or you could probably tempt someone away from their current job that's so, true You've got the pick of what you want because every manager in the world is going to want that war chest and the support of the Newcastle fans because they're going to love whoever walks in the door. Oh, they will. So because it's not Steve Bruce. There's, there's no need. There's no need to be defensive in this situation because you, being defensive is what's got them in this situation in the first place. Yeah. So they need to be assertive, flex their muscles, and say we're here to play. Now we're turning up, and here come here we come, and they will. Mark, and I'll guarantee you, if they get. A more than competent manager, they will turn this season around. Look, I agree. And to be fair, I'm just playing devil's advocate here because I really do think they should get Conte in. I rate the guy highly. So I just, it would, it would be interesting which way they'll go about it. But um, yeah, look, if this was about 15, 20 games into the season, I could understand maybe them going yeah, down well, the, the relegation specialist manager and then get Conte in. But Paul brings up the best point out of all that and, you know, keep the discussion going um, with what was what I was saying I do think only 8 games in 30 games to go you get a guy like Conte in, it will turn so yeah it's yeah. not like you're giving him 10-15 games to go here stay up and then we'll talk so yeah yeah exactly so I, I mean I think long term this season they're not going to get relegated now no do I if you told me if you asked me that question yesterday I would have said they're, they're done and dusted um but again, he's going to have to play the waiting game, see what they're, who they're going to bring in, and that's going to sort of dictate who's going to come in as well. That's probably the bigger, the bigger question. So, I mean, obviously, I haven't seen any players linked. It's hard to see who they're going to be linked with because um, there's obviously no manager that we know that's going to take that job long term. But what are the types of players? Do you reckon that they need to be targeting? Well, I honestly think it's a back four or a back three or whatever the manager wants, but they need to do something at the back. It is very clear that they lack quality there. Um, I just think like them going forward, there's enough about that side of things that a manager will look at that guy can work with that for a bit. I still think they'll go down and sign a couple of big names going there. But you look at Callum Wilson when he spits, St. Maxim, these are the sort of guys you're like, if I get everything at the back right, they're going to get me chances throughout games, right? Um, and then I look at the back four and I go, really, who's of quality? And Same with their midfield as well. Like their midfield's a bit whatever, right? But um, for me, if you're looking at them, right, um, I'm looking at their back, uh, their back four now. I'm just getting it up. It is. Yeah, it, it's not fantastic. It's not great. <laughs> like if you're looking at it, you got Matt Ritchie, uh, Dummett, Clark, got decent goalkeeper. Fernandez, so Lascelles has been injured. Lewis, Charming, Quillo, and I think I missed one of the youngsters in like Kraft or whatever. But I'm like, and Lewis is alright. Yeah, but like it's not, you're picking one. You're, and the cells is the captain who's not 
dreadful. He's all right. Yeah, the cells, cells and Lewis. So you got yeah. You got a fullback, a centre back, and then between Darlow and Dubravka, they've got injured. enough yeah. goalkeeper options that are quality. Um, so you're looking at probably needing to bring in two really good centre backs. You're probably looking at another fullback on the left to replace Matt Ritchie. Yep. Um, you're looking. I don't. I don't know how I feel about the Longstaff brothers in central midfield, but they're not. They're decent squad players for now, but they're not what you're going to want to be starting with. Yeah, I agree. And then you're looking at probably needing another winger. Joe Linton's not good enough. Nah, so Joe Linton's just... never been good enough. And I feel like if you're a manager going in, you look at the middle slash wingers and you probably go the Longstaff brothers as someone that I think the club would like to keep around because they're just the Newcastle from and through. And I feel well, like they're that's... good squad players. Yeah, exactly. They're good players that probably keep around and rotating. And then you've got Joe Willick, who I think is really good. Miguel Almiron can yeah, play out close. wide. Um, as well so it's not like it's the worst God, John Joe Shelby for me is still a very good player and I think oh, yeah. Isaac Hayden's not bad it's, yeah, it's, he's alright it, it, it's a squad that I look at and I go there's no superstar there's no guy that's going to take the game by the scruff of the net and run the show it's a lot of guys that just you know what you're going to get out of but they're just bang average they're like good they, yeah. good to have around the squad but not good enough to start you rely on a moment of brilliance yeah. from St. Maximum yeah so for me I feel like that's definitely an area they'll look at they'll look at that you know middle middle line and go we need a maybe a more creative player to supplement the boys going forward or we really need a proper six um they probably could use both right but then you can throw a uh you can throw a joe willick you can throw a uh john joe shelby you can throw one of the long stuff boys in that mix to start alongside him so i really feel like if they're going to target it straight off the bat they need to get a six slash or ten depending which way they want to go right with yeah. with someone at the back probably another center back and then if you look at their Front line, it's not bad. It depends what the system's going to be. And you, you do feel that if you're going to get content, it's going to be a 3 4 3 of some sort. Um, and you look at it and it just goes, it's Callum Wilson, it's St. Maxim, and then the rest aren't good enough. Joe Lytton, Dwight Gale, like these are guys that are, yeah, they're, they're yeah. Yeah, so, they're not there. So for me, <laughs> um, they scream like they need a big name winger slash nine. And I don't know how many they're going to get being in this relegation fight, but if they can sell the project, then it would be really good for them. Um, yeah, I think that's where they're relying on probably some loans and guys that are looking like they're going to move on uh, for next season, this season. So I think for, for me, it's just look at what they're going to do. You know, whether it might be a, a six-month Jesse Lingard, you know, like he did last year at West Ham. Guys that aren't getting a game that want to play World Cup, you know, in a year's time. Jesse Lingard could actually be a really good loan move for them. Exactly. Imagine throwing him out on the right too. So for me, it's don't be surprised if you see them playing around in that market because it's going to be hard to make signings in January, which I don't think they're going to be able to anyway. So I think they're going to... By seeing who they bring in in January, it'll sort of tell you where the holes are in that squad. But obviously, it's, it's, it's all up in the air, depending on who the manager is. Some players might say sell me some of the inter boys say it's Conte some of those guys at Inter might say I want to work under him again sell me yeah you know sell me so you you know that, that's the kind of things that we can't predict no, at the moment we that won't be able to could either that. be yeah the team might stay exactly the same through the year and the manager's good enough to turn it around or the team could look completely different in January so that's what's to look forward to I um, think it's going to be really good to see what they target I just feel like short term they need to get one play in each line and then longer term they'll obviously look to target a squad of 11 or a team of 11 slash a squad. Um, But yeah, I think it's going to look really, really interesting. 
Um, and I'm telling you right now, Paul, I know that I was saying I was going to do Brentford as the beta save and whatever. I feel like me and you are probably going to do a Newcastle beta save, aren't we, for FM22? Yeah, I think <laughs> it's just one of those ones where it's just too too enticing. It'd be interesting to see what the distribution of money is going to look like as well um, I'd, on FM. I would love to see how much money they actually get like transfer-wise first season in as well. That would be ridiculous. I might play around with a Newcastle save now, to be honest, and see what I can uh, achieve as things are because I have been looking to to re-spark my interest but one big question uh, we've got it, it's come through from Con, from Con but I'm going to change it slightly so he mentioned that how long is it going to take them to get into Europe I'm going to tweak it to how long until they're going to be a contender what do you reckon? I think it's about obviously them targeting Conte getting Conte in and then it's about giving Conte time to develop a team, a philosophy, and a squad. So I feel like that's not something that's going to happen overnight. So I would say if they're going to seriously contend in the Premier League, it's probably going to take four to five years because it's going to take, obviously, time to get going, build the philosophy. But I still think they'll make Europe and Champions League more specifically in the next three years. And then that jump from yeah. being fourth or third to then challenging what is historically going to be Liverpool and City that are going to be getting anywhere from 85 to 97 points in the season um, is, yeah. The one thing that helps, it looks like the Premier League have made jumps to close that down. Look at this season. Chelsea look like they're going to be around the mark. United, as much as I don't think Oli's the manager, um, still looks like they're capable of taking points off anybody on their day. And you've got other Premier League teams chopping and changing. With that in mind, I feel like it narrows the contendering years lower than maybe four to five. But if Liverpool and City develop and Chelsea don't go on with this and United fall away again, etc., etc., it's going to make that the serious contender part of it makes it really difficult because you've got to be near perfect to probably beat City. And if Liverpool don't get injuries, you've got to be near perfect to beat them as well. Um, However, if the Premier League keeps tidying up as it is and then they join the mix... We are saying that they could probably make Europe in three years. If you're making Europe, you're probably going to be close enough to be winning the league because it looks like it's going to become quite tight like it is this season. So three to five years, but more of a view if the league starts going back to traditionally Liverpool and City four to five. Yeah, I feel being in that sort of top four hunt, I sort of count that as being a contender more so, um, especially the way this season's panning out as well. But... Obviously, it does take time, so don't expect Newcastle next year or the year after really to be, you know, there or thereabout. It took Klopp five years to get Liverpool firing in the Champions League, or four years. So, and that was with a team that was already established that had the money from sale of Suarez and whatever. So, um, and had to sell Coutinho in order to get who he wanted. So, don't be surprised if you're looking at that four to five year bracket anyway. Um, as a minimum standard in my opinion but look again it's there's a bright future there but until we know who's taking over then that's it's hard be, to predict well, those yeah. thoughts are going to be compromised yeah because you don't know and then they might be able to you know make wholesale changes but then they might not all work as well yeah I you know, agree we've seen that plenty of times so look I think it's one of those situations where it's going to be interesting to see how it plays out now that we know that it's all done um, and then it's going to make the next transfer window extremely exciting if you're a Newcastle fan or you're just a fan of the Premier League. Um, it's interesting to see the names they can pull. I've got one more question before we, we wrap this section up yeah. for today. Who does this impact the most? Um, it impacts every Premier League team because obviously the money being spent by Newcastle is astronomical. But I, I mentioned to you pre-pod, 
And Arsenal have been seriously looking at, looks like the Conkeys are looking at selling. They're happy to stay, but they look like they're detaining offers. I feel like it does two things. It pushes the Conkeys' price of what they want to sell Arsenal up, and it means that for Arsenal fans, it looks probably... A little they're not bit, leaving. Yeah, that they're not going to leave. No way. Yeah, now they they're getting, They're not getting relegated. Yeah. They're not going to play European football. They've already rejected two offers from Daniel Ek and the consortium. There's absolutely no chance. And that's who, for me, it's for, for the teams for me, it's Arsenal, Spurs, West Ham. Who else are you going to throw Thinking Everton. Yeah. It's, that, it's that bracket. It's that six to ten bracket. It makes it so much more difficult. They are going to get yeah. left in the dust by Newcastle if it goes the way everyone thinks it's going to go. And, I, and look, you should say it should go that way. They've got that much money. Look what City did all those years ago and look where they are now. So Exactly. I just And if they separate it and then we're going into a, top, a big six, because I put Leicester in that yeah. top bracket at the moment. So you're, going, you're, you're potentially going to a big six, which... You know, that's, that hurts Leicester too because I don't think Leicester will be able yeah. to contend with that personally because yeah, they do their stuff very differently so yeah, they're a bit more s- savvy it'd be interesting to see how they run it Newcastle and I hope that they run it well because I just feel like the fans deserve it but uh, we'll like wait in my lifetime I've not seen a good Newcastle side I don't think nah see we were, a bit, we were a bit young for it um, you know that was like early 90s um, and like they were okay yeah. throughout the, uh, you know, middle to early two thousands, but nothing that like yeah, to write home about. Where you know you speak to like people that are a bit older or your dad or whatever like that, um, they will tell you about the great Newcastle teams of yesteryear or the teams of the middle nineties that Shearer joins from Blackburn and yeah, like yeah. like they should have won the league Bellamy, in like ninety two yeah. and whatever. So yeah, but we, we've seen guys like Craig Bellamy play at Newcastle. We've seen an older age Michael Owen play at Newcastle with the injuries and that. Like we've never got the experience, yeah. the full pump of the tune going, knowing that they are a serious title contender. So yeah, yeah. So that's for me. That's what's most exciting um, to see how that's all going to unfold. Um, again, if you've got any thoughts or views that we, we haven't covered, uh, let us know either through the Discord or. Uh, through any other avenues for us we do have a few questions so I reckon it's probably time for us to get into it to maybe make a jump on those because we've got a bit more to talk about and the first question from Rods here is something that I've completely actually forgotten about over the last couple of days I haven't I've been waiting um, for this question so thoughts so what are our thoughts on Watford situation um, with Ranieri looking like he's going to come in and do a job for them well when the news broke and I messaged you straight away, I was going, what on earth are they expecting to happen? Why are they doing this? Like, I was up in arms. I was like, they've played good football. They've won a couple of games. They keep tracking like this. They're going to beat the teams around them and that's going to be enough for them to stay up. And that's all you ask first season in when you're a club like Watford to then build a base. And they've got what I think is a decent enough squad to build a base upon. Um, yeah. I just feel like it's where other clubs have run really well, Watford's run horribly. And it's not the first time we've seen a manager get sacked and everyone's scratching their head going, huh? Um, for me, though, once I heard that it was Ranieri they were getting in, I was left in two minds. My first one was, well, great, I understand why they've done it, because they want a manager that has obviously won the Premier League previously, but a manager that is probably someone that if they survive this year, they can build with. I get that. Yeah. But I also go, this could really go the wrong way, because Ranieri wants to play a different sort of style than what Watford were currently playing. Right, I feel like Ranieri 
is going to look to build longer term, where I feel like Watford at the moment were just knowing what they had to do to stay up. That, for me, is one of those ones that I would have been talking to Ranieri privately, saying, at the end of the year, if we stay up, you're going to be in charge. And then the manager stays up, you thank him for keeping you up, you sack him, saying, look, we're getting Ranieri in, and it's Ranieri that comes in. I could understand it that way, but Watford had just run so silly. They just sacked him on the spot. And it was like, are they sacking him because they got done by Leeds 1-0? Like, it's, Leeds are still a decent side, and it's not like he got pumped and he played horrid. So, yeah, it yeah. was... It was all re- the timing and everything was really weird. Um, and yeah, so timing's probably the biggest one because they've actually been playing okay. Um, but I think it's one of those ones where they've seen the situation... They've gone crap. We can actually like Ranieri's gettable. Yeah, let's just, let's do it. Yeah, you know what I mean, like they just one of those. you can see that they've just, they've just jumped at that opportunity. Um, which I mean, look, I, I think he's a great um, manager. To be fair, so I think it depends on the the attachment that the playing group have. That's what I'd be worried about. They seem pretty Other close than, together, considering all the Ben Foster cycling GK vids too. So, no, but I mean, as in how close to the manager are they going to lose their shit because the manager's been sacked? Maybe not. Maybe they've consulted. I'd like to think maybe Ben Foster and Will Trost Kong and a few of the senior players have been approached and said this is a. I no, don't know. Unlikely. I don't think Watford worked I mean, like that. I probably haven't. Watford, I don't think worked yeah, like the, that. The way Watford worked, probably not. But I would have liked to have thought that maybe they've <laughs> done that. But who knows? So I think that's an interesting situation which we'll see unfold. Rod's other question. I don't really want to go into too much detail about this one. Um, obviously, there's some pretty significant reports coming out of Brighton about Basuma. Um, I don't really want to touch base. If you want more information on that, it's it's all circulating out there. Um, look, he's been playing unbelievable this year. I don't know how long his absence is going to be due to this issue, but that's going to affect Brighton massively because it's you know central midfielders like that don't grow on trees. No, they don't. Um, so look, I think that's probably all the airtime we really need to give. No, nah, it doesn't. It doesn't deserve airtime either. So yeah, so let's leave it at that. Um, but yeah, that's going to be a significant loss for the team. Um, JS, best manager in the Prem. It's a big question. Yeah, it's subjective. Huh? It is very subjective. It's subjective. It's, um, I'm going with Jurgen because he's actually built something you know, look, and I, he's turned our squad we're, over. We're two Liverpool fans, so we're going to say Jurgen. And for me, the reason why it's Jurgen over everything else is he doesn't have to go out and buy players to who meet a philosophy. He builds the philosophy. And he's always been big in saying that he's not one to go spend big amounts of money because he feels like for him being a coach, he needs to go and train and get the best out of people, grow people to fit his system. And I like that. And for me, yeah. it's like Harvey Elliott. Who would have thought Harvey Elliott's an eight? Look at what he did before he got injured. He would probably have played against Manchester City in the middle of the park if he was fit. So, yeah, um, a manager like that I think is worth their weight in gold. I'm still going to say that I think when Tuchel gets it right, and I, I've honest, honestly, he's pretty much got it right. And the only time he hasn't was probably City um, of recent times. Um, he's probably up there because he's just he's, his understanding and tactical understanding of the game is so good. And watching Chelsea play, they get the best... He gets the best out of them because he, they play yeah. to his system. And I feel like if you look at Pep, Pep's the sort of guy that gets a little bit of bad because he spends so much, but clearly he's probably the best, you know, game manager there is in terms of like understanding yeah. what's going on, understanding how to set up, understanding how to... He lives and breathes it. You can see, like, look at his reaction to the James Middle Red Cup. He lives and breathes it. And I feel like those three are definitely the ones you're talking about. I'm saying Jürgen because obviously he builds what he has with the squad compared to the other two that buy... 
But um, if you're looking at a manager that knows how to set up in a way to win a game, it's too short. If you're looking at a manager that can go in, implement a philosophy, and teach players how to play his philosophy, yeah, he has to buy all these players in, and he doesn't do it with the players at the score at the club. But Pep's really good at that too. So I feel like we're in a, a situation where don't ask you the best manager in the Premiers. Just enjoy the fact you've probably got the three of the best managers in the world all at the same time fighting out for what's going to be a great title. Probably been the best group of managers as well. Well, look, um, you got the... you got Rafa at Everton. He's doing a really good job. Um, Nuno, it'd be interesting to see how he goes about because I rate him as a manager. Look what he did with Wolves. Um, yeah. And then you're looking at, you know, Brendan Rodgers at Leicester. You know how good Brendan is and he's been faced with a little bit of a challenge, but interesting to see how he goes about it. Um, Arteta's slowly starting to turn the screw at Arsenal, hopefully, for Arsenal's sake. And it'd be interesting to see if he develops because I still think there's a great manager in him. He just needs to go. But the big one for me is look at Vieira, look at Palace. They're getting it right. And if they really do get it right, watch out for them because they're going to be doing what Villa's doing at the minute, what West Ham are doing at the minute. And David Moyes as well probably deserves a mention too. So just just enjoy it. Just enjoy it. Look at the managers at the minute. There's just so much. And that's why it's so tight at the moment as well. It's just because the quality of management and the teams that they're producing is on another level, which means... No, the Premier League itself is is benefiting, so I think that's the best. Yeah, I do too. A couple questions to go. Russo, has Arsenal's transfer policy been proven right, or is it too early to tell? Too early. I, I'm going to say it's too early. I think the results of out... The best way to put this. Have shined over the performances. I think the, the Spurs game, it was more about Spurs getting it wrong because they were dreadful. They were horrid. And Nuno even said I think it. the other results, like the Brighton game, they let Brighton have 26 shots. They were open. Brighton, and they walked away with a nil-nil draw and Arsenal were dreadful. So I think the, the, the results are sort of overshadowing, that's the best way to put it, the results are overshadowing the performances. Um, individual performances have been good from certain players, but I don't think collectively it's where Arsenal need it to be for... You know, a, a lengthy season. So let's judge it in... For me, I feel like you need two years. If Arteta can turn it around in you know in two years' time or 18 months now, I guess, because we're you know, almost at Christmas, yep. um, then I'll say whether they got it right or wrong. But at the moment, I don't, want, I don't feel comfortable um, acknowledging that at the moment. But look, there's been times where they can sit in and get results. That's, you know, really good to see. They're getting one new wins, which I never thought I'd see. Um, they keep, they've kept... All four clean sheets in a row, three yeah, four clean sheets. Yeah, Ramsdale has been yeah. massive at that though, just giving him a bit of confidence yeah. at the back. The back four actually looks a little bit more settled. They've got a full back. I'm not going to say that they've got it right or wrong just yet, Russo, but I really think that it's trending on the way that they have because when teams yeah. don't play well and still get results, it's a good predictor of when good they play thing. well, they'll get results too. So I feel like you're trending in the right way, just way too early to tell though because they need they've got a lot more they need to do. Yep, I agree with that. So we'll move on to our last couple uh, questions from Dim today. So I'll just get your thoughts on this yeah, one and I'll touch base on the last one. So what's your thoughts on Italy's 37 unbeaten run um, coming to an end against Spain? I've got two things to say. Ailey, we're, Europe- we're European champions. Do you think I really care? Not too much. There's a little bit of like whatever because I thought like it could last. But uh, to lose a, a European like nation leagues game in the semi final, 
yeah. to lose the record. Uh, do I care? Well, doesn't mean doesn't much. mean much to me. <laughs> Secondly, if you watch the game, you know the referee had an absolute farcical game. I don't understand how Benucci's even sent off. He's literally just jumped. Player's arms naturally go in the air and jump. He's caught him with like his forearm, not his elbow, which the referee says, and sends him off because it's Benucci. And uh, I believe it was an English referee. Um, who was it? Bold-headed guy. Does Premier League games. Oh, pardon? There's a lot of them. There's a lot. Um, <laughs> there is. Uh, very, very I pale. No yeah. Um, anyhow, I, I'm going to just put one out there for the conspiracy theorists. E- English manager managing Italy for the first time after they beat England in the final of the European, you know, the European Cup. I'm telling you right now, there's, there's not something in that then, yeah, I really think that an English referee straight off the bat for Italy probably wasn't the smartest idea by FIFA, but it is what it is. Um, I don't think it was a red, changed the whole game. Italy still scored with 10 men uh, on a different day. Italy even gets that game an extra time with 10 men. So for me, I'm more happy at the fact that we're not going to see a run like that for a very long time in international football, A, and it caused a poor refereeing performance to really, well, in the FM words, FM us out of probably reaching the final of the Nation League. Um, but yeah, look, I'm not going to be here and go up in arms and say this is a travesty or whatever. We're European champions. I'm not really going to care. So yeah. Yeah, fair enough. And then the last question for today from Dim Could Gavi and Pedri be the next generation Javi and Iniesta? So for me, I feel Gavi, we haven't seen enough much of. He played well so against Italy, that. which was nice. Yeah. But I think they're going to be players that predominantly play further up the pitch, though, more so than. More like Iniesta and Xavi were more sort of a pair of eights. Yeah. Uh, well, Xavi was, you know, I, I feel like they're going to be more. Maybe that's just because it's the start of their careers. Maybe eventually they they fall back into those sort of central mid areas. But I feel like there's a ten and both, a winger there. Yeah, exactly. But I, I still feel like okay, regardless of where they're going to play, the talent there though. So I think it's if you're a young kid coming through Barcelona, this is probably the best time to ever come through the academy because you're going to get an opportunity. Uh, more, more often than not, they lose a lot of these kids because they haven't got space for them. No, now. Whereas now, with the financial um, issues that they've got, they actually may be able to, to utilise some of that talent um, to get first-team experience, which we might be saying in five, six, seven years' time that there could, there could be another dynasty because all these kids like Ansu Fadi as well. And I'm really disappointed that they let Mariba go um, because I, th- I felt they had a real good core um, of, of great kids coming through, which unfortunately is you know, no, well, still going to happen. Still going to happen, but, but they've lost Mar- one of the best. Mariba was the cream of the crop there with Ansu Fatty, and they just couldn't get a contract dealt with. Yeah. Like, I think there's a few different factors involving in that deal, but anyway, it is what it is. Uh, any thoughts on those two guys before we wrap up, Damon? Yeah, I do, I do actually. And, uh, Dim, this might shock you when I say this, but do I think they're going to be the next generation of Chubby and Iniesta? No. We're, we're talking about. Two of the best players to ever play for Barcelona, period. Two of yeah. the best players to ever play for Spain, period. Two of the probably the best players to ever play world football in their roles, period. Um, so to put that amount of pressure on these two getting there, it, yeah. it's like trying to say that they're going to be the next Messi and Ronaldo. Like, it, it really is. So um, I think if we're going to say that the next generation of Xavi Iniesta, no. Are they the next generation of Barcelona? Yes. Are they the next generation in Gavi and Pedri going down the lines of being great players that have come through Barcelona? Yes, but to say they're going to be as good or the next generation of Xavi and Iniesta, I really do think that yeah, is a lot, of pressure. a lot of pressure to put on two younger kids. And um, don't get me wrong, I think it could happen. My worry with Pedri is that look how much football he's playing at the minute. 
He always looks visibly like he's just tired. I just don't want him to turn into Michael Owen because we did the same thing with Owen at Liverpool and England did the same thing and then look what happened to Michael Owen and he really, with the ability he had, should have been one of the best players to ever play world football. So, yeah. Yeah, but I'd have to agree with that too. There's always that trade-off of playing heaps of games and getting that experience at a young age, but then there's, there's a lot of interesting cases that have come about where guys have been exposed too much too young and they break down and they don't get that longevity with their career. So. They deserve longevity, these two. And the whole of the Barcelona youth do. Um, I just really hope, especially for Pedri's sake, that he finds some time to just make sure his body is right and he doesn't turn into the way of Owen and a lot of other players that have had injury, like Owen Hartgreaves and all these sort of guys that are like really good footballers that had careers just ravaged by injury. And I hope he doesn't. I think the difference now, though, is the, the teams, like the medical teams around. 100%. It's a lot different. are probably better now. Yeah. So the injury prevention, sh- you know, theoretically should be a lot better. A lot better. So the awareness should be there. So they shouldn't be getting run into the ground like they used to. But look, who knows? Desperate times call for desperate measures. Barcelona, Barcelona are yeah. in very desperate times. There's, so there's a manager there that is out of his depth as well. Ronald Koeman's probably not the guy for Barcelona. I feel for him because he had a good spell in England too with um, Everton or Southampton. One of them he did really well with Southampton, I think. Um, then he got the Everton job and then from then it's kind of gone backwards for him. But again, that's a story for another day. Isn't it, it is, it, it is. Talk about Barcelona. Don't I haven't really covered them much. No, nah, that might be something we do um, during this international break for next pod, but yeah. I think we might have to as well because they haven't started that well either. So no. I think for today, Damien, that's probably where we're going to leave yep, it. So short, once again, short, sharp and shine. Thank love you. it. Yeah. Thank you very much for your company Anytime. and guidance and knowledge on this topic. Thank you, mate. Anytime. Say goodbye to everyone before we head of off. course. Um, or secondly, Paulie hasn't mentioned it yet, but his content's flying over on YouTube. If you haven't watched any of his road to glory, I highly recommend with FIFA just coming out. Go watch it. Best place to find it is in the Discord, which would be in the uh, you know description below of the pod. Yep. Um, go click on the Discord link. Join us because we're a great community, firstly. But secondly, all of Paulie's content's out there. Um, obviously, I have my content out there as well, but uh, Paulie's is predominant at the minute. So I reckon giving him a cheeky little plug as we exit is probably the smartest thing to do. So from Damo, thank you for listening to another pod. Hand it over to Paul to end this one off. Thanks, mate. So... Should be a quick turnaround this week, guys. So be prepared. There'll probably be a podcast, hopefully, on Monday night, Tuesday morning, depending where you're watching from. But from myself and from episode 29 of the PD Sports Podcast, we'll see you in the next one.